0: Well, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. This is Roscoe, your host. Today, I have a very fascinating chat with a young man who's sitting over in the UK. It's Tom Boyes. Now, Tom Boyes works with some elite level golfers, Tommy Fleetwood, Lucas Herbert, and a whole host of other players in and around the European tour on the world of tracking their stats and their performance. Yes, you've heard about it, you know, things like shots gained and all of these other areas that, for some of us, are a little bit of a mystery. Well, today, Tom tells us how he has come to build a career helping the best golfers in the world understand their games and how they can improve their games by the use of effective stats tracking. He's linked in with the guys at Upgame. You can check all that out. There's information in the show notes on how to find Upgame. It's an app that you can download to help you track your own game. Upgame are on the verge of launching a new version of that, the pro-level version. Tom talked us through all of that. But it's a fascinating chat, and if you want to improve your game, these are some of the areas that you can work on by yourself to improve your game of golf. Thanks for listening. Jump over to iTunes, leave us a review, leave me a note, leave me something. Just leave me something over there at iTunes because it is a way of helping the podcast get into the ears of as many people as we can as we grow, and I really do appreciate it. All of the feedback, the support, it means the world to me. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the chat with Tom Boys, and I look forward to catching up with you next time on the My Love of Golf podcast. boys welcome to the my love of golf podcast how are you sir over there in the united kingdom welcome to the podcast thanks for joining us yeah thank
1: you for having me um we're a little bit wet over here today the traditional uk weather is has kicked in again the beautiful british summer but um, now all good thanks
0: mate you look like you're dressed for a game of golf you, you, you're not going to you know tell me that the weather's going to stop a game of golf are you
1: we've seen that the rain is due to ease off in the afternoon so i'm, I'm hopefully nipping out for a few with Actually, with, with Tommy Fleetwood this afternoon. So um, just to just to show how bad I've become compared to him. So,
0: now, mate, that's that's not a name drop. You you do work alongside a whole host of uh, golf professionals in what you do, and we're going to get to that in a second. But you do work fairly closely with the likes of Tommy Fleetwood. I guess in introducing what we're going to talk about today, tell us tell us why why you're here and what we're going to talk about. Up game app is your is your thing and. Maybe just give us a bit of an insight into, you know, that whole world for, you know, just a moment.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously my my role with the players is sort of officially a performance analyst, is what I would call myself. So that involves looking at, looking at the stats, um, obviously collecting some stats that I've come up with myself, and then using that to give them actual sort of practical application of it to improve the performance, maybe a bit of training, stuff I do, you might have seen some of the stuff Dave Allred does with players like Molinari. I sort of try and combine the two, the players I work with. Um, about a year ago now, I got put in touch with, with Upgame, who had a sort of basic version of a stats app. Um, I really liked the way that they were recording the data. It's basically a map of the hole. Um, you drag to where your shot is, so it's fast, it's easy, it's accurate at recording the information. And I saw a good sort of synergy really between the data I wanted to collect and how they had their operating system. So we got in touch, and that's ultimately led us to the design of what what is going to be the UpGame Pro app that is being released well next week.
0: So, so how so, did you get into the world of being a performance analyst, and and where where did where did your interest in tracking stats from a professional level come from?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, my background, I was always a, a very keen amateur. I was lucky enough to represent England boys and men's team. Um, and actually, the the boys team, I was in the age group. You had Tommy Fleetwood, you had Eddie Pepperell, you had Tyrrell Hatton, you had Tom Lewis, so it was I mean, probably one of the strongest years in in the history of England golf, I mean, you've got four, yes. four winners on the European PGA Tour right there. Um, so I was at that level. I always used stats myself to just get insight into what my game was and um, what areas I should be practising. Um, and also how to prepare for tournaments as well that was just how my mind always worked I was always sort of devising practice plans and um, how, right how am I going to prepare for this tournament at St Andrews or whatever it is um, so I was using the various sort of stats programs out there and quickly saw that they weren't giving me the sort of information I wanted um, and even some of the more modern stats you see now like strokes gained there is flaws to them in that I mean, if we take strokes gain around the green, that can make you look like your short game isn't very good, but it can actually be because of where you're missing your approach shots. So nothing to do with your short game. So I wanted a way of measuring that helped sort of make sense of the strokes game numbers and gave a more accurate picture. So basically I just sat down and thought, right, what, how can I record it? What do I need to do? Came up with a couple of different ways of tracking it, trialed it myself, then ran that by a few players, few managers, few coaches. They liked it, and that ultimately led to me then working with players on the on the tour. And then obviously we've then recently then gone to Up Game and we built what I believe is probably the most advanced analysis product on the on the market. So yeah, that's where it sort of come from.
0: So obviously a long history in in golf there as an amateur. Moved into the professional world for a, for a, a bit there, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, t- I turned pro. I mean, relatively young compared to most people, age nineteen. Just, I, I said, done England boys, I done England men. Um, I just felt I wanted to be a professional golfer. I needed to get out there in in the sort of real world, if you want to call it that, playing for money week in week out, playing against some of these experienced pros who who knew how to to get a score and so I got off to a really slow start I mean, my first few events were actually in Morocco of all places um, I played the first week um, played pretty solid came 17th I think it was the next week shot 66 second day but missed a cut by one um, and then literally that night got quite horrific food poisoning, really, which meant I then had to pull out of the remaining events, went home, and truth be told, with the amount of weight I lost, I didn't really recover for a good few months after that. So it was a real sort of sort of like stopping me in the tracks at the start of, start of the pro career, really, sort of killed any momentum I had. And then from there, made probably a couple of mistakes, changed things in my game that I wish I wouldn't have, have gone down. Um, like I'd always had a really good short game as a junior. You sort of come up the ladder and you see no, the, the technique that you've got isn't how you should be playing them. And again, you coming from some good coaches, you listen to it and you think, okay, well, I need to change that to get better. When really I didn't, the, if I had a look purely at the stats, my short game was, was plenty good enough. There was other areas that I needed to improve. But I went down that route and ultimately ended up getting the yips with the chipping, which... As you know, once you get that, particularly at a high level, which some of these mini tours are now, you you're not gonna compete and it sort of went downhill from there. But like I said, I'd always been interested in in the stats coaching side. So I suppose the last the last year I was playing on the mini tours, I sort of had in my mind that unless something drastically changes, this will be the route I go down. But it was good, but it's allowed me to obviously experience a lot of the emotions that players go through when they're playing. I think I can relate to, to it a lot. Um, I mean, particularly like Lucas last year was having a quite rough spell and I could relate to a lot of the things he was saying. Mm-hmm. Really beneficial for that.
0: So you mentioned so Luca, Lucas there. So you, you work, Lucas is another one of the guys that uh, that you work with. Just, just coming back to that point where that you make, you know, you started to change your game from a, a technical and a coaching uh, perspective. You must see a lot of that happening now. Do you, you know? Do you do you see that with the younger players that you see coming through? Do you see it with existing players? You know, like you, you must have a really good, highly, um, you know, defined ability to see that. You know, and I guess the stats uh, world. You know, where where do you? come in and, and work with someone or tell someone, you know, listen, mate, you don't have issues here. Here's the numbers. You know, this is, this is critical.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we will we we're, we're sort of in a generation where everyone's got a video smartphone, they can all video the swing and compare it to Rory McIlroy. And I think you see a lot of players get lost in, in sort of trying to make it look pretty on video as opposed to how is it actually performing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was certainly a trap I fell into when I tried to change my short game. I had, if I look purely at the stats, a really good short game. And if those numbers are good, that's all you need. If, you, if you're if you shooting 66, there's no pictures on the scorecard, as the, as the old saying goes. So I guess that's what I try to bring in um, to the players I work with. You try and have sort of objective data that picks out, right, these are, for that player, the key areas that... We need to improve. These are where the numbers are now. This is where we want to get to. And then that's where you're then into sort of really working quite closely with the player support team. So whether that's the coach, the psychologist, the fitness fitness coach, caddy, there's really a sort of blend of, of the two really between what the numbers are saying, what they're seeing, and then, right, this is where we need to get to. How are we going to do it? Um, so... That's pretty much how I I work with pretty much all the players, really giving them the objective data. These are the key areas that I think you need to work on. We know for, I mean, to give sort of an example, I mean, strokes gained has come very much into golf now. A lot of people are familiar with it.
0: So just give us a little insight into that strokes gained. Uh, I know it's a question that uh, in one of the parts of the podcast that I do with my mate Rocket, we talk about strokes gained. And obviously in recent times, Bryson DeChambeau, you know his monumental length that he's hitting, it and everything around Bryson. But you, you know he's talking about strokes gained and how good he's been in certain areas. So, how do we understand for the everyday golfer out there that we're talking to and sharing this with what strokes gained actually is?
1: Yeah, so strokes gained is basically a, it's a benchmark which is against the PGA Tour average. Now, on the on the PGA Tour and European Tour, they adjust it week on week to counter in effect how difficult or easy the course is, et cetera. But it gives us some quite good benchmark. Like we know if you want to be world number one, you're looking at being around 2.5 strokes gain per round. So 2.5 shots around better than what the PGA tour average is. Um, for top 10 in the world, it might be closest to like 1.75, 1.5 depending on, on the year. So that can then be then broken down into the different categories. So, T shots, approach play, short game, and putting. So you can see how that total is is made up. Really, mm. someone like Rory obviously gains a huge amount on his T shots. Yep. Uh, Bryson's doing exactly the same now. For other players, they might gain more on the short game and the putting. Like if you look at um, when Luke Donald was well number one, sort of about 2011 season, I think it was. He was, I think, strokes gained off the tee pretty much around zero. So. Rory, I think, is around 1.2. So Luke was a shot worse around off the tee than Rory, yeah. but they were both getting to that sort of magic 2.2.5, 2.4 strokes gain total. Luke was doing it very much with his irons and his putting, his short game, chipped in as well. But the irons and the putting were what made up that total. So it allows players to see actually how they're putting together the scores. Um, There is some sort of slight flaws to it, strokes going around the green. It's calculated by the distance and the lie of the ball. So it thinks if you're 15 yards in the rough, it's just taking the average of that. But you could have a really easy shot from 15 yards in the rough or you could have practically like an impossible lob shot over a bunker. Obviously, if you leave yourself a lot of hard shots, that strokes gained around the green stat is going to be a lot higher than the player who leaves a lot of easy ones, not because of short game ability, because of where the approach shots have missed. So again, that's where I've come in and tried to add that extra layer underneath to give context to those numbers. So if I see that a player's strokes gained around the green stat is is poor, the first thing I would look at was, okay, well, how many hard shots as he leaving himself around the green yeah if it's if it's not many then we can say right there is a definite short game issue if there's a high percentage of them then we can actually look at the approach play and say you you're just leaving yourself in bad positions is that a strategy impact is that just hitting bad shots so strokes gain for me is like the sort of starting point for analysis
0: now we move into talking about the app so i think you mentioned before that you know, when you started this quest to be you know, the best at understanding you know, all of these areas of, of the professional game, you mentioned you were plotting it on spreadsheets and doing it quite sort of um, numerically, or you know, like uh, what's yeah. it, what's it, sorry, I've gone blank on the word, but uh, manually, manually, very, very long and tedious. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> the you met, you, you've obviously met the guys uh, through the uh, from Up Game. What, is, what does the app allow us to do? Because I guess where I sit, and uh, you know, I just had a played golf yesterday. I had a tracking watch on. Um, it has little dongles on the end of the, the club there. You're familiar with what they all do. What's the difference between that type of stat that you know someone like me is going to do and and using it in the app, that, the up game app that you've got?
1: Yeah, so if you look at how stats are being collected, and even on the PGA Tour, they've got the £500 million shot link system. What that doesn't tell you is where the player is in relation to their target. Now, if you're going to try and look at dispersions and miss patterns, the only accurate way you can do that is knowing where it is in relation to where you're trying to hit it. Mm. The example I always use is the 12th of Augusta, par three, front right pin. Most players of the smarts will be aiming 30 foot long left of that flag, typically. If they hit a perfect shot 30 foot long left, I don't want that showing up in a stat to judge miss patterns that they've got a 30 foot left miss yeah i want it showing you've hit your target you're zero foot from your target but you're 30 foot from the flag um so what the app allows us to do i mean up game already they had a map based system and you just simply dragged on that map to where your ball finished and it would calculate the distance it would calculate the lie very quickly so at the end of a round to enter it was like two to three minutes and you had your stats the pro version that i've obviously been um, highly involved in designing is very much about just drag where your target is drag to where your ball finished and it'll calculate the distance between your target it'll calculate your distance to the pin um, and it gives us all this valuable insight so we know if you've hit tee shots, um, you might have missed eighty percent of them twenty yards or more right of your target. That's a very valuable information to go to a coach with. Um, and as I've done it, it's been quite interesting as well. You, for approach shots especially, you see the average distance from the player's target and the average distance from the pin, and the gap between those two numbers actually tells us how aggressive or safe a player is playing. Mm. Um, I actually had an example last year of a player where he was a fantastic iron player, one of one of the best I've seen. And I think he was averaging something like 18 foot from his target on approach shots. But if you looked how far he was from the pin, it was like 35, 36 foot, not very good at all for a tall level player. So obviously a big gap between those numbers. So we spoke about some of the targets he was picking and it quickly became apparent and his caddy actually said this as well, that he wasn't being aggressive enough for how good rhyme player he was. Mm. So he did a great shot, but because his target was 10 yards right to the flag, he'd have a 30 foot putt. So we spoke about not firing at every flag because that's, that's not what you do, but moving his target closer to the flag. Um, and that would in turn give him sort of shorter birdie putts. So anyway, a couple of weeks after this, he actually won the tournament he was playing in, being ranked first in strokes gained approach. And when we looked at the stats, his distance for his target had stayed exactly the same, 18 foot, but his distance for the pin was, I think, like 24, 25 foot. So he'd made a huge difference that took him from like coming 20th in tournaments to winning, not by grinding for hours on the range, just by simply, I'm going to position my target in a smarter position. And that comes from the the data we were collecting. And again, I think this is where it's going to really help a lot of, a lot of club golfers and mini tour players in that they can make some quite big improvements just from very simple applications. Like where's my target? Where does it need
0: to be? What, Um, what's your sense on, obviously you get the data from the people that have been using it all around the UK all around the world now, amateur golfers. And, I'm going to assume, you can tell me if I'm wrong, that you, you look at a lot of that data in a summary form anyway and you may, maybe do you look at it in handicap sort of brackets? Do you look at what the better players are doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, because how I've come in, I've been focused more on the sort of design of the pro at the moment, yeah. but obviously I know what the difference is in, in the sort of handicap groups and truth be told, it's the same on tour as well. It's right. It's not so much about hitting more good shots for players it's a lot more about how bad your bad shots are and that's the same if you, if you start at the bottom and you've got like a 28 handicapper they will hit more destructive bad shots than 16 handicapper who in turn will do less than a five handicapper than a scratch handicapper than a mini tour pro european tour pro and then you've got top 10 in the world basically hit less bad shots so what i always advise as high handicappers is it's more about just, just playing smart. If there's trouble at the right with water, you need to be aiming quite a lot of the time left edge of the fairway. Mm. So that if you think of what your shot pattern is, the majority of your balls will then end up in play. It's the same with hitting greens. You see so many, so many players aiming at flags or aiming too close to the flags in a lot of cases when the much better aiming, just middle of the green. That will in turn, it will reduce the amount of times you're missing greens, you're hitting it in water, you're hitting it in bunkers. Um, And that's what I think the best players understand. I mean, the example I gave you there was actually a rare case in that you're telling the players to be more aggressive. Usually it's the opposite in that people are firing at flags that they shouldn't be. Um, And that's certainly the case for your sort of club golfers.
0: Well, that, that's, yep. well, that's that's well, I'm glad you said that because I, I just reflect on my own game, and you know, we we at Peninsula Kings, we've got some pins that are able to be tucked in in little tongues away, and you know, sometimes you can't see the bunker, you can't see the left, and it's a relatively new sort of green complexes and setup, so you, you know, it's it's less familiar. But I get up there and I go, whether I've got near the pin or on the green or in the bu- in the bunker, I get up there usually and go, "What were you thinking?" Like. Why would you even go for that? Just go for there, yeah. the middle of the green. And maybe uh, I'm a slow learner, but it's it seems to be taking a bit of a time to to make those adjustments. I guess- yeah. I mean,
1: if you, a great way of explaining it, if, we say, if I say 175 to 200 yards on the PGA Tour last year, yeah. there were two players tied first there, and they were Brooks Kopka and Rory McElroy, two pretty decent players, to be fair to them. Um, and they were averaging over 30 foot from the flag so if they had a shot from that range they would be averaging on typically over 10 yards from the flag
0: yeah.
1: that's them yeah. yeah I see 10 handicappers 15 handicappers aiming dead at flags 5 yards from water on the rise right from that range now it's it's suicide yeah. really and and the losing shots not because of their ability technically as a golfer but from just really poor decisions and i think just understanding the game and what the shot patterns are so that's that's really the the key thing we're trying to capture in the app you mark your target you will get a pattern of your shots so you know right if i'm 150 yards in the fairway this is my shot pattern and it might be 20 yards wide by 15 yards long and once you've got that knowledge, you can use that to to pick better targets, which will then ultimately lower your scores. It
0: makes sense, doesn't it? What about when you get on the green? I noticed when I was looking at the app, uh, you had the the green as a shape, and then you had the different types of putt that you may like downhill, breaking left to right, uphill, right to left, and so on and so forth. That that seems like a fair degree of detail there to be able to, you know, have to input or then on the other side, a fair degree of detail that you get out of that. What, what does that look like when you download that and sit there and start talking to a tour player or a club golfer, a five-handicapper or a 20-handicapper?
1: Yes, yeah, so we're actually changing that putting screen a little bit in the in the version. So the compulsory things record is the distance, obviously, and also we're going to add the speed of the putt. What I've seen from the, the players I work with, and you see it on tour as well, the best putters are the best at controlling their speed. Um I'll use I'll use Lucas as an example here. He's consistently one of the best pusses on the European tour. And a major reason behind that is how good his speed is. He if you look at the good pusses, they have a much higher percentage of putts that finish past the hole, but typically within two foot past. So yeah. if you're within two foot, you're gonna hold the next puss ninety nine point nine percent of the time. So they're guaranteeing they're not going to three-puts, but they're also finishing past the hole. So they're giving the ball an opportunity to go in. What you see with the poorer putters is they're a bit more timid. There might be might be a technical reason like miss-striking the putts. They have a much higher percentage finishing short of the hole. Obviously, if a putt finishes short of the hole, it's got 0% chance of going in. So that's where Lucas is exceptionally strong. Um, I mean, if you look at his putting stances is as good as anyone. That's, again, I think for all levels a golfer could learn from that. Typically, I try and say sort of inside 25 foot, if you miss the putt, you're trying to finish it within two-foot pass. If you're outside 25 foot, you're then into more, just a two-foot circle around the hole. If you finish it in that, you're going to score quite well on strokes game putting. And then typically, if you look at whether the best players separate themselves, it's pretty much three to ten foot if you look at who's the best in that range, that's who the best putter's on on the PGA European Tour is.
0: So if, uh, you know, once again, bring it back to the club-level golfer, think about the driving ranges that you go to and you see around the countryside there. What do you usually see most people doing on a driving range?
1: They're working on the latest swing tip they've seen in a magazine or on YouTube, aren't they? That's... Bombing drivers. That's prominent. And don't get me wrong, there's... Um, areas that are more or less less important in golf. I have a saying that pretty much all my players will have heard that you want to be good at the shots you have a lot of. If you, if you get 1% better at a shot that you have 10 times around, obviously 10% improvement. If you only have say one shot type of shot around, so I always, um, you've got to then be 10 times better at that one shot to make the same gain. I, mean, I always say, what do you want to be the best in the world? The best putter from five foot in the world or the best at hitting 30 yard snap hooks around a tree. Yeah. Who's going to be the better golfer? Yeah. Um, and it's obviously the five footers because you have so many of them in a round of golf. So that's, I think, important for golfers to understand. What shots are they facing the most and what shots have what I call a separation value. Um, and when we touched on earlier about Brooks and Rory being ranked first, 175 to 200 yards, now that's, there's a good reason behind that that explains why they're sort of top two in the world. If we think of, on, particularly at tall level, 100 yards, the difference between a good shot and a bad shot is pretty minimal in its outcome in that it might be on the green to 10 foot or on the green to 20 foot if you look at what the averages are on tour likelihood is you're going to two put both of those so there's not a big separation between the good and the bad players in that category mm-hmm. if we go to 175 to 200 yards there can be some quite big differences in outcome typically from that range of good players they'll hit the green maybe i like I say on average 30 foot but they'll hit good shots as well be put in for par hitting a high percentage of the greens, the poorer players from that range will obviously be missing greens, but also missing them in water, in bunkers, in hard up and down locations. So if we look at the the separation value between a good and a bad shot in that range, it's, it's big. If I, if you hit a shot from one, seven, five to 30 foot on the green, you'll make a gain. If I hit a shot from 175 into the water I will lose one shot in the blink of an eye so you've gained one shot straight off there if you do that obviously quite a lot of times the tournament was on tour that's a very heavily heavily used distance range so they're gaining a lot from that area whereas again if people are practicing if you're looking at putting if you do loads of practice from two foot, you're not going to separate yourself much there. The difference between a good putter and a bad putter from two foot is, is minimal. If we go out to five foot, six foot, seven foot, eight foot, you can then start to separate yourself quite a lot. Um, so that's, that's in essence what I'm always advising the players to do. There's certain areas that are more or less important than others to practice. And that's what it boils down to. The shots you have the most of, and the shots that have that big separation value.
0: So maybe there is for some people a big value in sitting there trying to you know get an extra few miles per hour on the driver and and getting the dispersion of the driver because it's going to get them another 10 15 20 yards closer.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um again, it it depends on the golfer. Some players they have that ability to to find distance or get straighter. The skills are easier or harder to to improve. I mean, putting is in theory, the easiest skill to improve. It doesn't require, you don't have to be Bryson DeChambeau to, to hold more fat putts from five foot. You could be a nine year old. You could be an eight year old. You can improve that skill, but you're not going to get many nine or eight year olds hitting it. Obviously as Bryson is at the moment. Yeah. So it's understanding that, that balance as well.
0: Now we've talked about a couple of the players that you work with, uh, Tommy being one, Lucas obviously being another. Who else is using the UpGame app and the stats that you derive from from that? That you're, you know, in regular contact with. That you're happy to share with. Yeah,
1: so I've obviously Tommy. Tommy's obviously at the top of the pile for me. He's just twelve in the world at the moment. Um, I've just started with Matt Wallace. Oh, yeah. um, again, really a serial winner on the European tour, really really driven to improve um so i'm really excited about working with matt um we then got lucas obviously um another aussie that you'll know jason scrivener mm-hmm. um i started with literally just before the, okay. <laughs> we sort of stopped for the yeah. lockdown really um and then there's a few other guys on on the european tour matthew pavon johannes vim robin Roussel. Um, Stephen Brown, another one I've just started with. One in Portugal on the back end of last year, um, and Chris Ventura, a young young boy in the States who, again, has a really impressive mentality. Actually, was part of the same college team as Victor Hovland and Michael Wolf in America. Um, real strong pedigree as well. So I think that that should be nine people. I don't think I've missed anyone out. So yeah, that's that's what I'm working with. I mean. Each player is a little bit different. It all starts with recording the stats mm. um, and feeding that. Others have sort of big teams around them, um, like Tommy Lucas do. Some others have sort of smaller teams. Some want me to get involved a bit more with the training. So I will typically look, um, I mean, like an example from a player the other day, we will see, right, this is an area we need to improve. And I will come up with some practice sessions that are done either on the range, putting green or actually on the golf course as well that can help help us improve those areas. I mean, I, I don't go anywhere near the technical side. And that's obviously very much a specialist subject, but some players, I do assist them with that side as well.
0: Were you there when uh, Lucas won this year?
1: I wasn't. I was out in Abu Dhabi the week before and it, it's it's really interesting because we had a, a, a fantastic meeting actually on the Sunday in Abu Dhabi where obviously all the team were there. It was a real sort of honest honest conversation about where he was at, uh, what he needed to do. Um and it was great. There's a lot a lot of the principles that were spoke about in that meeting. Um obviously he did some great work with Jamie on the back of that. And I mean we've we were talking about really a lot of sort of small stepping stone goals. Um, as it was, he, he smashed pretty much all of those <laughs> goals the following week. But it was it was really pleasing to see a lot of the stuff pay off. Was even if you go back to the 18th hole in normal time, he was actually stood in the fairway. I think he was trying to hit a five wood and go straight at the flag because he thought, we need Eagle to get in the playoff. Um, one of the conversations we'd had with his caddy was about his miss with the longer stuff. is typically short right, so being mindful of that. And with that in mind, he, he obviously pulled a three wood. They were aiming a bit more long left of the pin, was where the target was. He actually hit that sort of short right miss that is his sort of common, common miss with it, but it caught that little slither of green. Now if he'd have hit five wood aiming at the flag we'd have been in the water and it would have obviously been a, a very different ending. Um, but that small decision there obviously got him in the playoff. Um, and then obviously those who've, who've watched it know in the playoff, he hit a terrible shot, but showed like unbelievable mental strength. to so then bounce back and play a fantastic wedge shot, which was an area we'd highlighted in, I think sort of around Italy time the season before that, he could get better at. He's obviously gone away, worked really hard with his coach Dom and Jamie on, on that area. So to see him pull a shot like that out, under sort of probably the most important period of his career, uh, that was really rewarding to see, and it, it was great. I mean, I I've, I think the way they work as a team is is fantastic. There's a lot of really good conversations and and questions asked um, and I mean I know obviously Lucas he, he burst onto the tour he then had that that year where it didn't really go as he planned he had some tough times off the course as well um, so to see him bounce back and obviously get that win was was I was absolutely made up for and delighted yeah
0: yeah, he's a good lad and uh, and uh Tommy Fleetwood strikes me as uh, one of a kind too, mate. I can see, you know, I've obviously never met Tommy Fleetwood. I only see what everyone else of us uh, sits here and admires, uh, his game of golf and uh, you get to hang out with him, but he looks like a bit of a, a good lad to hang out with and have 18 holes of golf with, I, I could imagine.
1: Yeah, it's great because what, like, what you see on the telly with Tommy is exactly what you get in real life. I mean, I've... I've I've known him since, I think we were like 12 or 13. He was like county teams; I was Cheshire, he was Lancashire. So we were always playing against each other yeah. uh, growing up as juniors. Ended up in same England teams. And then obviously his, his career trajectory went on a, a very different path to mine after that. But um, I've known Tommy for ages. I'm actually, um, actually godfather to his little lad, Frankie. Oh, beautiful. Um, we've got obviously a really strong relationship as well. I mean, even if we're talking about an, uh, analytics and how that can help it play a, a sort of small part in, in his win in South Africa. And uh, we typically look at the start of each week at the different golf course, what the challenges are, what we've got to be good at to play well. Um, in South Africa, we I actually went, went out for that tournament as well, um, picked a nice one to be at. And we saw that that course was very much the par five holes um the rest of the course pretty much played in level par, but the par fives, the winners were played in like eight under, nine under, ten under year after year. So with that in mind, we we knew that as a game plan, we had to, to target those holes. Now that golf course, if you know it, is the targets on, for the second shots on the par fives are quite small. You've got an island green on nine. You've got a very small green on ten. You've got a really small target area, um, the other part five on the back nine. So we were playing the practice round and we saw he was getting in between clubs a lot, like trying to take a little bit off a five wood or step on a four iron. Um, So we went away and we actually looked at the shots he faced the year or two years before when he played there and we saw he hadn't had a single shot inside 100 yards on that golf course. But he had a high amount in that sort of 200 to 275 range. So at the moment, he had four wedges in the bag, and then he'd choose at the top end between sort of five wood, two iron, four iron. One of those wouldn't be in the bag. Mm. So again, there were discussions. The caddy, the coach was obviously at the forefront of them as well. And we looked and said, well, we need to play the par five as well we're not going to have many shots under 100 yards. Let's take a wedge out and top top load the equipment for that week.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so he went with three wood, five wood, two iron, four iron. So basically any second shot into the par fives, he had a club. Covered. Yeah. He could miss. Um, as it played out that week, he played the par fives in, in four for the week. Um, had four eagles, obviously three of them. On that final round to sort of roar through the field and win in the playoff. So, I mean, I'm careful. I don't want to take a lot of credit for it. Ultimately, he stood up and hit some unbelievable shots into those holes. Um, but it's a good example to show how analytics can can help these guys make decisions as well.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you you raised it because I thought about it earlier on, and and I'm glad we came back to it. and not that you know, but my my role in the golf industry, I, I do a lot of club fitting, and and trying to help people you know understand their game from what they put put in their bag, and that's a really perfect example of one of the discussions that I might have with someone when they're looking at how they set their bag up. Now, of course, you know we're not all Tommy and Lucas and getting you know can jump onto the tour van and see Trotty and get whatever clubs we want, right? A lot of golf these days are played in societies. You'd call them societies, we call them social groups over here where the guys are moving around courses and they're playing different courses each week that have total different environments, different strategies, different setups. They've usually played them before. And I'll have a discussion like about a three or four wedge setup or the top end of their bag and really understanding where their strengths are in their long game, where they need to work on their short game. And sometimes it's like, well, you know what? You actually need a three and a five wood and a hybrid and they want to save some money, they want to save a couple hundred bucks and choose between a three and a five or a hybrid and a four iron and that sort of thing. So you, you need both and you need four wedges as well. You're not going to use yeah. them all the time. And, yeah. you know, obviously some people then understand that and do that and some people don't and they just say, I just want 14 clubs, mate, you know, stop trying to get money off me. But um, yeah. it, it is a really relevant conversation to have with them, whether you're a 20 handicapper, a 15 handicapper or a, you know, a tour player because it is it is relevant. You're not always playing the same place, the same tee setups. This I played the blue tees yesterday at my course, and you know it's another 150, 200 meters. I wasn't playing the same shots that I was the week before playing yeah. off the forward tees. I didn't take the three wood. I needed the three wood anyway. Very good, very good, mate. Where where can we find Up Game app and it's available to everyone. Can everyone go on and upload the app? When should they go on? Should they wait for the pro version? What's the, the details around that? Do they have to pay? Is it free? Is it, what's the what's the story there?
1: Yeah, so the, there's yearly, yearly subscriptions and there's going to be basically two versions. There's going to be a basic app. So if you go on, I mean, on Instagram, at Upgame, at Upgame app mm-hmm. or at Upgame Golf, it is on Instagram. Um, Similarly, it's on the App Store, and if you look on on the web as well and search it, you'll see some more info on there as well. Two versions, you've got the basic one that is very much geared at a sort of introduction to stats, so it's really fast to enter. Um, It'll give you your basic strokes gained. It'll give you things like driving accuracy, greening regulation, proximity, etc. That is obviously a cheaper version, and then launching hopefully over the next week is going to be the pro version that is the one I've obviously been heavily involved in designing. It's the same measures that all my tour players use. Um, things like the targets, um, the end results of shop. So giving you, for me, the most accurate picture of, of what your performance is. Um, that's obviously going to be priced a bit higher, um, but I, I believe it's it's going to be the best analytics tool on the market. So um, I'd certainly advise checking it out.
0: I'll put all of the uh, information where to get access to all of that, the Instagram, the the website links and everything in the show notes. So if you do want to, when you do want to find that out, and I would certainly encourage you, if you want to get better at golf, whatever level, have a look at these your stats, have a look at your performance. Certainly I know a lot of the, the parents of a lot of our young high-performance golfers in the country listen to the podcast, so for, for those guys, it seems to be like an absolute no-brainer that they should be using some technology to, to make that role easier within their own little teams. You know, the, the concept of team even at sort of elite amateur level is, is a growing thing. So, uh, yeah, all that, that will be in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I've, um, mm-hmm. and I'm very um, appreciative of your time, there's a couple other things about your world of golf that I'd love to chat with, and, and one of them is your passion for hickory golf.
1: Yeah so I um I love I mean, it obviously you obviously you're, you're a member member at Craigie Law in Scotland I saw, which yep. we play sort of every year right up up in that area so Kilsvindy Gullen I'm fortunate enough to play North Berwick and Muirfield in one of them as well so I got into it one of the one of the pros I was playing on on the mini tours a guy called Andrew Marshall played on the European tour for a long time um used to play in it every year and I'd seen it and thought I'd, I'd love to give it a go. Really, it looks it looks great, it's fun. Um, so I I went up, and they actually organised it the week of the Masters. So you played hickory golf during the day. You then watched the Masters of a Nice. It was for a golfer. It was like the perfect trip. Yeah. Uh, we played North Berwick, we played Muirfield, we played Gulland, we played Killspindi. It was. I was instantly hooked, and it's. I think you see with the modern game now, it's become a lot more just smash it as far as you can and, and play from there. The shot making has pretty much gone out of the game. You don't see people hitting a lot of draws, fades, little knockdowns, chip and runs anymore. Um, and I mean, that was how I sort of was brought up. I played a lot of Lynx golf. I was trying to shape and control the ball. Um, and the hickory golf sort of brought those skills back into it. I mean, they have the, like the World Hickory Tournaments every year in October that's um, great fun I think there's a actual Hickory tour set up now as well um, but it's I'd say if people haven't played it it's it's definitely um, definitely worth giving a go. I think it's it's brought a lot more sort of fun back into the game for me you haven't hit different shots um, and get creative um, and because you typically play shorter courses as well you get round quick as well which is, is another nice
0: plus. Like how good is how good is Kill Spindy for for playing hickory golf?
1: It's incredible. I mean, I until we went there I didn't I honestly I'd never heard of it as a golf club. You hear you hear of the Gullens and the North Berrics and all that, but we went there and it, it's it's probably one of my favorite golf courses in the world. Um, you play obviously along the right along the coast and I mean the first time we were playing there you could see the seals um Messing messing about about hundred yards away from you, Um, and certainly for Hickory Golf, it's it's like the perfect course. It's quite it's quite short in places. Um, Like the last hole is actually a drivable par four, even with the hickories. But it it's just it's like a throwback to sort of how golf sort of used to be played. And I mean, it's it's an amazing golf course. Some great holes on that course.
0: People. obviously used to me talking about Scottish golf and and that's sort of become a bit of a thing for me. And, you know, I last spoke about uh, Spindy with uh, Rue Donald from the Scottish Golf Podcast. I was on his podcast and and you probably know Rue from his work on the tour. And we talked about Spindy and, you know, I got introduced to Craigie Law by... Uh, young Gabrielle McDonald, who's a LET Access Tour player, she's a friend of the family. Went to Craigie Law, and I remember playing at Craigie Law. And once again, I hadn't really a lot of idea about the area at that time. I remember looking over the fence there and look, what's that over there? Oh, it's another golf course. Well, I better go and have a look at that. And uh, it's just, uh, it was just amazing. Um, but you don't just do Hickory Golf, mate. You you go the full two. You know, you you're a young man. You know, you've got your Nike gear on there now, and you you yeah. ride a cup. You know, you look like a pro golfer. You look like a pro golfer of the time with the hickory gear on, mate. You do the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got some pretty pretty loud plus fours that I bring out for the hickory, but I I played a normal golf as well. And like I'm playing with Tommy this afternoon, that will be be normal stuff. Um, although quite often, we'll, I mean, he he's actually got a hickory set as well, and he'll he'll put a few clubs in there and and have a mess about. He's, I mean, Tommy. he... You get players who just play golf for the same. He genuinely loves golf, yeah. um, and I mean he's got a few hickory clubs. Quite often there'll be a couple of them in the bag, and he'll just drop a ball down and, and have a go. And I think it it's it can be really good for developing your skills as well. I mean, as you know, if you can hit one of those small headed hickory drivers, you'll find it pretty easy with some of the big ones these days. So. Um, it can be, I think, quite good training as well for quality of strike and then working on a bit of your sort of visualization and strategy. So,
0: I, I've not uh, played a full round of hickory golf, but there's been recent times uh, where we've been at events and a couple of guys have had hickory sets and there was a par three at Kingston Heath. And I said, Come on, give us a look, at, give us a go, and probably hit one of the best shots into that. Par three, at Kingston Heath. Uh, I think it's the fifteenth or whatever up the hill that I've ever hit. We played at uh, a random golf club event at Royal Park. Same thing. Come on, give us a go. And it's the closest I've been to having a hole in one in thirty years hitting hitting this hickory. It's just, it's hard to describe. You know, you have to go and try it and do it. Did you ever get to? Um, do you meet Boris up there at uh, in Gullen? I do. That's who.
1: Uh, I mean, the, the very first hickory event I played. It was his tournament. Um, and it, I mean, great guy. He's obviously got the shop in Gullen that is. It's amazing when you go in and look at some of the clubs that he's got in there. Um, I mean, he, I think he had he had one. I think actually Patrick Reed bought it after the Scottish Open, and it was it was made for Bobby Jones. I don't think he ever used it, because it it had his name stamped on it. And back in those days, you weren't allowed to because of amateur status, you couldn't have your name on on a club. But it was it's if you I'm not if you if you love your golf and you're in Gulland, you have to visit that shop and, and look at some of the clubs in there. And I think yeah, he does higher sets as well. I so grab uh, one of those and go and play Gulland three or kill Spindy and
0: I'm glad I've I've met someone else who's met Boris and can understand the quirkiness of uh, this, you know, let's, I'm going to say, he's quite an eccentric chap. Uh, He's German by, so he's not Scottish, but he's obviously dressed like, you know, a Tom Morris type uh, garb, you know, he's old school. And I met him and I I used to go into his shop and it was sometimes closed, sometimes open. And I actually did a deal on a set of clubs. And he said, okay, if you come back, you know, I'll take you to Killspin and we can go and use them. Fantastic. But I'm going away on Friday and I thought he's away for Friday. Anyway, one thing led to another. We missed each other, and, you know, I'm, at least I know him now, and I can go back there, and I'm going to get a set of hickories next time I'm in uh, in Gullen, but what a, what a funny man he is. Mate,
1: uh, he's, he's unique, definitely. <laughs> Great guy.
0: <laughs> a German hickory golfer, who'd ever thought of it. Yeah. If there's anything else that you want to share with us, now's the time, but I think that's given us a really good insight into your world, your experience, uh, the, the Up Game Golf app, and and just the importance of and the value that people can get out of tracking their performance at that level doesn't matter if you're a pro, doesn't matter if you're a thirty handicapper, it can all help and contribute towards you being a better golfer. So, I really appreciate your time. If there's anything else, mate, I'm happy to hear. But uh, I reckon I reckon we covered a fair bit.
1: Yeah, I think I think as you said, it, it's I think people just understanding that stats isn't isn't just for the top level. I mean, don't get me wrong, pretty much all all the guys on tour now have have an analyst or a stats guy or a coach who gets very detailed into the stats but it can actually even be more help to the club golfers to understand your game where you can improve so if you're going to practice for an hour you want to maximize that hour you don't want to be practicing something that's going to have little effect on your scores so um yeah that's I'd advised obviously check out check out upgame on the web and and the app you can download it you can actually I think you get free trial rounds on it as well, um, which will give you a good sort of insight into how it works. Give you some feedback onto what you need to work on, um, and like I say we're looking to improve that app all the time, adding content into it uh, to help help all levels of golfer get better. So, yeah, that would be, be it for me. Like I say thank you for thank you for having me on. It's been good to good to chat,
0: mate. Right. Fantastic, I love it. Tom boys over there in the UK. Enjoy your round of golf with uh, Tommy Fleetwood. Give him all of our regards from Australia. He's one of the greats that uh, we love following from over here. And, uh, mate, until we catch you, hopefully, at a tournament very soon, we look forward to seeing you and, and keeping track on all of your players and all of their stats, mate. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Beautiful. Thanks, Tom.